Good morning and welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Connie. And I'm Danny. And we invite you to come and shelter with us in this season of gratitude and response to the great news that Christ has been raised. Let us worship God. Come on in. Now hear the word of the Lord from Jeremiah 31. At that time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall take your tambourines and go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planter shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when the sentinels will call in the hill country of Ephraim, Come, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So now we'll move on to our second lesson. We are continuing in John's gospel. Last week we were in the first 18 chapters of John 20 to talk about the first day, Easter morning, the first encounters with Mary and the first disciples. And so we are continuing up on where we left off, starting John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. Listen again with fresh ears. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. 
Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, it is great to be with you again. What's going on with you? Same thing? Same day to day? Has anything changed substantially from last week? Well, theologically, everything has changed as we celebrated Christ raising from the dead, inheriting his new life, fully becoming our Savior for all time. But our day-to-day in this COVID environment may have stayed the same. So I want to start with a few COVID jokes this morning to lighten the mood. Uh, These were taken from some tweets that I will relate to you. And of course, these all came with graphics, which make it a little more funny, but uh, I will share these with you. The first one was sent in. It says, eight days of isolation is being like being in Vegas. We lose money by the minute. Cocktails are acceptable at any hour. And nobody knows what time or what day it is. True, true. COVID-19, we are, we need to be like Darth Vader. He wears a mask. He doesn't visit his grown children. He is socially and emotionally distanced and he follows orders. Another one, day six of quarantine. My cat is trying to figure out what I'm doing in the house after 8 a.m. And for you dog lovers, now I know why dogs get so excited to go for a walk. Isn't it true? In case you've lost track, this is another one. In case you've lost track of the days, today is March 87th. Feels that way, doesn't it? And finally... My husband received a letter from the government telling him he is in the high-risk category for contracting COVID-19 because of an underlying condition. Personally, I think he's safe since he's been dead for nearly four years. (laughs) Yes, not a laughing matter, but we're still in the environment. And so I want to start today in Jeremiah. What does an old crusty prophet in the Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, have to say to us about life in this time? Listen, it's amazing. And if your keen eye, which I know it did, uh, picked up that we used this verse last week in Easter, we did. And I want to use it again because I didn't get to talk about it. So we're, so listen again. So Jeremiah 
Seventh century prophet was a prophet when the Israelites were overtaken by Babylon 586 BC, long time ago. Babylon smashed them, destroyed the temple, took most of them into exile into Babylon. And Jeremiah was witness to all of this throughout his ministry. He saw it coming, he saw exile. And then at the end of his book, he starts to relate through God, God through him, that a new time was coming and a time of restoration. And the verses that I want to lift up to you are wonderful. First, think about, again, those people in exile. Their temple was destroyed. They had to leave their city. Their family structure was altered. They had to find a way in a new exile environment to do what they had always done, to be the people, to live new lives. And now at the end of that exile, God is starting to say through Jeremiah that the end is near and you are going to be restored. The first verse is is amazing that I want to lift up. The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Think about that. The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. So last week we talked about our Lenten theme, which was being in the wilderness. Capital W Wilderness, Jesus brought us out of last week as we celebrated. The wilderness of being separated from God. The wilderness of death having the last word, of darkness having the last word, of sin having the last word, of being alone and separated from God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. All of that Christ did and abolished and destroyed when he was raised from the dead. So that capital W wilderness, gone, wiped out. All of those things we need not fear. But the smaller W wilderness of this virus environment, there is still darkness in the world. Bad things still happen. We may find ourselves in a place of hopelessness or despair. How do we move forward? I'm worried about my business, my children, my financial future, my health, my parents, my friends, my church, the world. So much, so many ways that we still find ourselves within the small W wilderness of this environment. And I would change sword to trials. Those who survived their trials found grace in the wilderness. Now, I don't think this points to a future looking back. I think we find grace in the wilderness every day. In the midst of all of this challenge, of the uncertainty, of the sickness, even the death, the pain, the struggle, the un- all of the unknowns, the what if, ifs, the what happens to, the financial insecurity, grace is present in this wilderness. Now, if you remember, 40, we're just coming through 40 days of Lent. Do you think that Noah on his ark for his 40 days found grace in his particular wilderness? 
He was covered with unknown, surrounded by death. What is the new world going to look like? What do we do from here? He was with God clearly and holy for those 40 days. He found grace in that wilderness. When the Israelites were finally, through Moses and God's greatness and power and strength, brought through the Red Sea and into the wilderness for 40 years. Do you think they found grace in that wilderness? We know they did. We also know they continued to turn away. That was the golden calf where they worshiped. And yet, God allowed them a way to come home and continued to be faithful and loving to them. By the end of that journey, as they approached the promised land, they had found grace in their wilderness. Even Jesus, when he was 40 days in his wilderness, being tempted by the devil three times, fasting, meaning he was hungry for 40 days. Don't fast for 40 days, it's not healthy, nor is it a requirement by Jesus. We are not meant to do harm to ourselves. It was more Jesus emptying himself, not focusing on himself so he could focus clearly on God. Even in the midst of the devil being present and messing with him, Jesus found grace in that wilderness. So how do we find grace in our wilderness? Well, we see the signs all around us. Even with all of that negativity that I laid out that we know is a part of this everyday struggle, we also know grace has come with it. Meaning we have had some more freedom in our day-to-day. We have had some opportunity to reconnect with our loved ones in new and different ways. We have had an opportunity to breathe, to sit outside, to talk with folks we haven't talked with in a long time, to Zoom with folks we haven't spoken with in a long time. We get some family time back. We get a chance to open ourselves to the presence of God in the midst of this journey. We see every day how the world is helping the world. To me, a visible sign of God's grace amongst us, whether everyone recognizes it or not, we do, because that is the Holy Spirit working. You don't have to be Christian to be used by God to love and care for others. God uses non-believers all the time throughout the Bible to do amazing things. Well, what else? Well, we've seen artists doing live concerts. We've seen all of those who are caring for others give sacrificially of themselves. And companies, corporations have gone above and beyond. United States, our capitalist culture and environment often is criticized for the almighty dollar and putting that first. Well, the grace in this environment is that the intent was to put people over profit. The intent was to care for people that less people would become sick and die. 
I know there's a lot of conversation about when to open up again, but that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that companies and this country by and large have stood up and said, people are more important right now. We will get back to who we were before. We don't want people to be harmed. That is grace in the wilderness. Well, what about some other ways? I just did a quick search and was overwhelmed by what some companies are doing. And we often write off companies as big, bad, big, big, bad money machines that have no heart or soul. And yet, big companies are the biggest employers. And because they have that capital, that revenue, they've been able to do amazing things. Listen to just a few. Seattle-based Tom Ben, one of our favorite bag manufacturers, has turned its U.S.-based manufacturing line to cloth face masks and is donating around 100 to around 100 essential businesses and individuals. Subaru has partnered with Feeding America to help provide 50 million meals nationwide to people impacted by the disease. Stanley Black & Decker donated 3 million face masks and other protective equipment to frontline healthcare workers and pledged 4 million to support nonprofits who are helping with the response. Clothing brand Paradise made and donated hundreds of non-medical masks to hospitals. They are offering free masks while supplies last. The company store donated several hundred cotton sheets to be made into masks to quilting for a cause, sewing masks for Atlanta hospitals. TXN95 and sewers of Southwest Wisconsin. Footwear company Calaris and Crocs, don't know if I said that right, have partnered to give free footwear to healthcare workers and donated N95 masks to healthcare workers and first responders. Outdoor Research is converting part of its Seattle factory to produce personal protective equipment. Starbucks has donated more than 700,000 meals to food banks across the country and donating more than 3 million. We've heard of distilleries that have shifted to producing hand sanitizer instead of their alcoholic products. And friends, I could go on and on. I have pages and pages. There is grace to be found in this wilderness. And God offers that to us should we open our eyes and hearts and look around to take advantage of this weird, non-structured time that is different and awkward, and yet there is beauty within it, even amidst the darkness and the pain and the struggle and the hurt. Another quote is God saying directly to the people through Jeremiah. Remember to those exiles he's getting ready to bring home. I have loved you with an everlasting love. God saying directly to Israel, his people, God's people, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Now that is the joy and that is good news of this day. So excited is God to tell the people, so excited 
is Jeremiah to tell the people that this ends with, take your tambourines and go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. The understanding that God is going to restore Israel again and again and again through his everlasting love. So as we shift to John's passage, it is still Easter morning. And if you remember the great illusionist magician Henry Houdini, who died in 1926, on his deathbed, he said to his wife, Betsy, I will make a pact with you. I will reach out from beyond the grave to make some kind of connection with you. I will make an attempt. I will try to reach out to you. So he died. And for 10 years until 1936, Bess, his wife, lit a candle underneath his portrait, his picture, every day. And every year on the anniversary of his death, his wife held a seance, invited friends and family to come over to find some way to connect with Houdini. Till finally, on that 10th anniversary, she snuffed out his candle and she said, that's it, I'm finished, death is the end, there is no more. And that's right where we pick up this story in John 20. If you remember, Jesus had been buried and on the first day, Mary Magdalene came down to continue to finish anointing and preparing his body for long-term death. She saw that the stone had been rolled away. She saw the angels in the tomb, ran to get the other disciples, Peter and the other disciple. They ran back. They looked. They went into the tomb, saw the wrappings, ran back. And at that time, Mary Magdalene, as we talked about last week, starts crying. She's overwhelmed with grief and despair and separation. And the gardener says, why are you weeping? And the gardener calls her by name, Mary. And it's Jesus, and she recognizes him. And he says, go and tell them what you have seen. So she goes, and that's really where it ended. So today, as we pick up in 19, only Mary, only Mary Magdalene has seen the resurrected Christ. The other disciples haven't. It's Easter evening. They are afraid. They are locked behind closed doors, hiding in a room for fear that they will be found and killed, just like Jesus was. Whether that's Jewish authorities or Roman authorities, those whom Jesus threatened that had killed him now are looking to kill the rest of Christ's followers. So, of course, they're afraid, they're behind locked doors, and here's where Jesus comes and says, peace be with you. He does this twice, once as a greeting, which was common for the day, but secondly, after he shows them his hands, he says again, peace be with you, and they rejoiced because they figured it out that this is the same crucified Christ that is now the resurrected Christ, and that is what they celebrate. So they're there. They get it. There is much rejoicing. But Thomas wasn't there. We don't know where he was. Maybe he had gone to Krispy Kreme for hot hummus now for the group. 
We're just not sure. But he comes back and they said, we saw him. We've seen him. He's alive. And Thomas says, unless I see the marks in his hands and I put my hand in his side, I will not believe. So then we fast forward a week. And again, similar situation. They're still locked in an upper room behind closed doors. Thomas is with them this time. Jesus appears, shows them again. And says, Thomas, look, it's me. I'm not a ghost. It's the same Jesus now that I have been resurrected as it was that you saw die on the cross. And immediately, Thomas says, my Lord and my God, the only time in the New Testament Jesus is referred to as being God without some kind of qualification. Yes, we call him Doubting Thomas, but Mary didn't believe until she saw Jesus. The disciples didn't believe until they saw Jesus. And so Thomas didn't believe until he saw Jesus. And so from there, God breathes the Holy Spirit on them. And so for the Gospel of John, Easter and Pentecost, that is the giving of the Holy Spirit, happened the same day in this way. May 31st, we'll celebrate Pentecost as given to us by Luke, in Luke and Acts. But now it all happens at once, as if to say the resurrection and the commissioning of the church happen at the same time. But it's interesting to note that Jesus does not condemn or rebuke Thomas for asking for proof, for evidence. Having doubt is not a crime. Asking questions is not a crime. And Jesus treats him accordingly. But it's interesting that Jesus also gives him what he needs. And like a doctor who prescribes different medication for different patients, Jesus continues to give us what we need just in different ways. Now, the downside to doubt is if that's the only place you live and you stay and you anchor yourself. That's not where we are called or meant to be. But I fully believe that growth happens through doubt, asking questions, working through difficulty to find grace in that wilderness of doubt, just as Thomas did. God calls us today to accept the peace that he gives them Peace is that great Hebrew word shalom that on a basic level is, can be used as a hello and a goodbye as Jesus does first. But the second time he says it, and then the third time when they are gathered the next week, it is a shalom that is a fuller sense of the word. Peace in shalom is not just an absence of tension or providing for tranquility. It is a wholeness. It is a healing. It is a well-being and a, and a welfare meant by God to us. That is really the meaning of shalom. So when Jesus says, peace be with you, shalom be with you, it is because he has brought it and he is giving them what they need as he did with Thomas. Thomas said, I have to touch and he gave them all the same peace that Christ offers us today. 
As we move forward in this virus environment, we need to find our peace, to find our grace in this wilderness. Because the overarching theme of last week and today is not just that we observe a resurrection or a resuscitation of a corpse. If we ask what the resurrection means and why was it done, it leads us straight to the nature of God. God who is all-powerful, God who loves you, who loves me, who loves this world, who raised Christ, raised Christ from the dead so that the world could inherit new life. That is the nature of the God who says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. So today we need to go forward and know that there is grace in this wilderness. We need to look at the resurrection not just as something, a one-time miracle that we celebrate, but that it points us to God and God's everlasting love for us. And then we are to receive the Spirit and this peace that we might be the church, even and especially in these difficult and desperate times. So grab your tambourines and go forth with the dance of the merrymakers because Christ has been raised. Hallelujah. Amen.